This is WQA Radio, a podcast from the Water Quality Association, the leading voice of the water treatment industry. And hello, I'm your host, Wes Bleed. And we strongly feel that the private well owner has um, a good thing going as far as having their own well and their own control of their water source. So when we talk about PFAS and funding, we really are trying to promote that private well owner and, and promote domestic wells in general. That's Merritt Partridge, president of the National Groundwater Association, talking about his efforts to keep the focus on groundwater when discussing future legislation and funding in Washington. And welcome to WQA Radio, news and insights about the water treatment industry. You can find us at wqa.org and on social media, places like Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. This is episode number 188, and if you're with us for the first time, we are so glad you're here. Be sure to hit that subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss a show. That's the magic of podcasting. We're publishing this on October 7th of 2020, and in this episode, we'll talk with Merritt Partridge. The decision to make Groundwater Week in December a totally virtual event and his thoughts about how WQA and NGWA can help each other in the cause for better water. Later, we'll get a regulatory update from Kathleen Burbage, and I'll have our WQA tip. Now, on to NGWA President Merritt Partridge on WQA Radio. We're joined by Merritt Partridge, Vice President of Partridge Well Drilling Company in Florida. And Merritt is the current president of the National Groundwater Association, also past president of the Florida Groundwater Association. And fun fact, he is a sixth generation uh, individual of the well drilling industry. So uh, we appreciate uh, all of that uh, background and experience that you bring to the interview, Merritt. Great to have you as a guest on WQA Radio. Yeah, thanks. Great to be here, Wes. Appreciate that. Why don't you talk a little bit about your company and what you do right off the bat here, and then we'll get into some of the issues related <laughs> to the National Groundwater Association. Sure, sure. Well, um, our company is based in Jacksonville, Florida. It's uh, called Partridge Well Drilling. We've been in business since 1892, and it's a family business. Um, I'm the sixth generation, along with my brother, um, to operate the company. And we do water wells, uh, pump insulation, water treatment, septic, uh, geothermal, uh, and general drilling, environmental drilling. Uh, so. Those are kind of the key things that we do here in, in, at Partridge Well. And overall, how is it going, especially in light of the COVID pandemic and the kinds of things that uh, everybody has been having to wrestle with over the last uh, six, seven months? Yeah, surprisingly well. Um, business is actually pretty good right now. Um, certainly there are challenges that we've faced because of the pandemic um, as far as safety procedures and protocols of that nature. but. Business in general is is doing really well, um, and we're fortunate in that aspect. And tell us a little bit about being president of NGWA. I assume that you've spent some time on the board and have had some history with them. Sure. I've been on the board um, 
don't quote me on this, but I would say probably about six or seven years um, and really enjoyed the time uh, as a board member and as president. Uh, never did I dream I'd be president during a pandemic um, and responsible for a convention and gathering that we normally do every year. But um, that has made this year challenging as I'm sure many folks have had similar experiences with whatever they're doing. But um, I have been a part of the industry association, whether it's at a national level or state level for all of my career um, and have really enjoyed participating in both aspects of it. Um, so um, certainly there's always challenges, but I never anticipated one quite like COVID-19 to, to knock on the door here. Well, we can certainly re relate to that as well. And I know that Groundwater Week was going to be at one point, it was going to be a hybrid event, a hybrid meaning both an in-person as well as a digital or right. online experience. And then you went ahead and made the decision to host it all online. Tell us about how that all came together. Right. So we, we did make the decision to be 100% virtual this year. Uh, it was a really tough decision. Uh, we did have a unanimous vote by our board to do so. Uh, a lot of factors led up to that decision. Timing, uh, respect out of, of our members and exhibitors. But the biggest factor was uh, Las Vegas had a limit on the capacity per room. And that includes the convention center. So when you have a convention where you're expecting thousands of people, certainly that's not gonna work. And we had no indication of when that restriction would be lifted or what it would look like after it was lifted. So um, we waited as long as we reasonably could. Um, and then uh, we made the announcement to go 100% virtual. So it'd be the first time in our association's history where we will not have a show our convention. So I, I would be curious as to the kinds of uh, things you do have planned for the virtual show. And uh, again, very similar experiences on our part. We had to switch quickly last spring. There are certainly some advantages in a virtual show. So what do you have planned? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, fortunately, we, we kind of saw the writing on the wall uh, before we made this announcement. So we had been planning the background for a virtual event or even a hybrid event, if you will. So we had some time to plan. Um, so we're excited to roll that out and see how that really works out. Um, we've got uh, almost like an exhibit hall show, if you will, where uh, you can log in and actually walk the hall, a virtual hall, if you will, meet with exhibitors, talk with exhibitors, um, even interact with other members. Um, the other thing that we're truly, really trying to focus on is continuing education because a lot of our members are required to have that to operate their business. Uh, so we continue to uh, promote that and offer that on a virtual level. We continue to work on a lot of other fun things uh, that are new and creative and uh, the platform is not yet finished. So I can't describe exactly how that's going to look. But we're excited to roll that out. and We think our members are really going to enjoy it. And that's going to be in December. That's correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because I know I think there's a little bit of overlap, you know, between our two organizations. And we, Absolutely. obviously, for, for folks who don't know, we have been for the last several years together in Washington in March as part of uh, what we call our DC fly-in. And it's always great to collaborate with NGWA and the Irrigation Association and try to make our voices heard in Washington. And uh, on that point. Uh, what kinds of attitude changes have you been seeing in Washington these days relative to water treatment issues from your perspective? 
Well, certainly water has always been a big topic in Washington. Um, you know, maybe not so much on the domestic well side, which is really where we try to focus a lot of our energy on, but with the uh, upcoming of PFAS or the um, industry updates and things of that nature, that has really got the attention of a lot of legislatures. Whereas a few years ago, um, you know, we would certainly meet with legislatures, but wouldn't really grab their attention. But nowadays you can walk in the door and mention PFAS and, you know, everyone has a baseline understanding of what that is. So it's a good, uh, good starter as far as getting in the door and having that communication. Um, public awareness of that has skyrocketed in the last year or two. Uh, so we continue to focus on that as far as trying to get funding and uh, more awareness of that and more um, understanding on a national level as far as what it should be regulated as and how it should be funded to treat Etc. And when it comes to funding, I know sometimes the private well uh, industry, uh, you know, private well owners can can be left out of funding when it comes yeah, to absolutely. trying to re remediate efforts. Uh, you know, because the, the focus tends to be more on the the big uh, public uh, utilities and so forth. Uh, how are you trying to change that narrative? Sure. Yeah. So there's been a couple of bills that have been put out here in the last year or two, uh, and we've really tried to put some language or promote to put some language in there that really focuses in on that private well owner. And a lot of our membership is made up of private well contractors uh, and, and also well owners. And those folks really focus on keeping municipal water out of their backyard. And we strongly feel that the private well owner has um, a good thing going as far as having their own well and their own control of their water source. So when we talk about PFAS and funding, we really are trying to promote that private well owner and, and promote domestic wells in general and direct funding, whether it be in the treatment aspect of it uh, or just general awareness and public education. Um, and those funds shouldn't always be directed to local governments, but they can also be directed to um, again, whether it's treatment or private education or education on a private level. Uh, to let the, the well owner know. How do you see WQA uh, assisting coming alongside NGWA and and or NGWA assisting WQA? How, how can our yeah. how can our two associations work together more effectively? Do you think the groundwater, um, the flying that we have, and the communication we have, the teamwork there is is a great first step. Uh, working together. Uh, on specific topics like PFAS, I really, really, even we believe that power in numbers and the more people we can get together to get, speak to legislators about a specific topic is advantageous. Um, communication through boards and committee work, you know, there's certainly room for overlap, plenty of it, quite honestly. Um, and there's so many different ways that we could get together and share our assets and our talents and skills and kind of meet in the middle and to have like a common ground for both associations. And I really think that's something that uh, is, is to be looked forward to. Um, we, we do that with other associations well, like the Irrigation Association, et cetera. Um, and, and those are great partnerships and hopefully continue to have those partnerships in the future. And as you look ahead to 2021, it's, uh, you know, uncertainty is really the, the main focus these days. We don't really know, right? What, what 2021 right. holds, but sure. what would you say if you uh, could project ahead a few months, what do you think it's going to look like? 
That's well, that's the million dollar question. I, I wish I, I was confident in my answer. Um, I feel like so much of what I've been doing as president of the National Association is playing the guessing game, even to the last minute in the last couple of months. So to, to project to next year uh, is it, challenging. I hope uh, that we continue to meet. We can continue to meet in person in one way, shape or form next year. I think uh, the fly-in that we do in Washington, D.C. may uh, may not happen just because of, obviously, COVID-19 restrictions. Um, but I really hope that the future looks like some, some kind of meeting in person. And maybe not as large scale as we have had in the past, but I think that's really where we get a lot done, interact with one another, and really learn what common interests we have. Um, I can't sit here and promise you that's going to happen, but uh, certainly that's my hope. Um, and, and from our association perspective, a lot of our revenue is generated by those conventions and, and in-person shows. Uh, so it, it'd be in our best interest to make sure that those happen. And also a lot of our exhibitors and vendors uh, rely on that source uh, or that meeting to have uh, sales and revenue generation as well. So. Again, I'm hoping that uh, things maybe wind down. Uh, we can get to that point where we can start meeting in person and, and start focusing on what we like to focus on, and that's groundwater and water in general. Well, some of our listeners to this podcast may be interested in your uh, your your conference coming up uh, in December. How can they learn more about it? Sure. So the uh, love for them to log, log into our website at www.ngwa.org. And you can follow the link. There should be a banner right there. Uh, so you can follow the information and log in and uh, learn about what it's offering, um, who's going to be there and participating. So uh, certainly encourage anyone who's interested to check out our website. Awesome. Great uh, time to catching up with you, Merritt. And thank you for your time to discuss what's going on there. We hope to have you back again and hope to obviously continue to uh, collaborate on like-minded issues from time to time. Absolutely. It's Merritt Partridge, who is the current president of the National Groundwater Association, past president as well of the Florida Groundwater Association, and vice president of Partridge Well Drilling in Florida. Again, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Wes. This is Kathleen Burbage, WQA's Global Regulatory and Garment Affairs Manager with your regulatory update. Continuing our past discussions on addressing lead in schools by testing for lead contamination in drinking water, the US EPA has now awarded Hawaii a $222,000 grant. This award was made to assist the Hawaii Department of Health's Environmental Health Administration with identifying sources of lead in drinking water in schools and childcare facilities. The state's lead testing project will be focused on schools serving younger children, schools with greater than 50% of students receiving free or reduced cost lunch, and older schools built before 1988. Participating childcare facilities will be those built or licensed after 2008, which would have been after the separate comprehensive Hawaii Department of Health study. Hawaii stands with several states trying to support testing measures and find treatment solutions for lead in drinking water. Here are opportunities at the state and local government to start discussions on remediation and to educate leaders on point of use and point of entry technologies and their advantages in treatment for lead. 
I encourage you to visit WQA's Government Affairs webpage off of WQA.org to review the latest actions on lead and pending legislation in your state through WQA's Bills List. I am Kathleen Burbage for WQA Radio. And now our WQA tip. The WQRF contaminant occurrence map is now available. The map looks at 57 different water contaminants across the country to give you a quick snapshot of the data pulled from the states, the U.S. EPA, and the federal safe drinking water information systems. Learn the key terms and best practices for using the map at wqrf.org map. Thanks for listening to WQA Radio, a podcast of the Water Quality Association, the leading voice of the water treatment industry. Remember, you can subscribe to WQA Radio on most popular podcast apps. Learn more about water at wqa.org and, of course, learn about WQA product certification, professional certification, and how you can become a member at wqa.org. This is Wes Bleed, so long from WQA Radio.